Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. We are in the book of Acts chapter 28. We are making our way towards the end of the book of Acts. Um, So let me tell you what's going to happen. We're going to be in the book of Acts today, of course. We're going to read the final verses that are recorded in the book of Acts, verses 7 through 31. Next week, I want to give one more message from the book of Matthew about the book of Acts. I'm going to preach from Matthew about the book of Acts, and I just found this interesting parable um, as I was doing my own personal reading. Uh, I found this parable in the New Testament that Jesus spoke about in Matthew that kind of summarizes the book of Acts in a very interesting way. So that's going to be our conclusion message um, next Sunday from the book of Acts. And then uh, the week after that, I'm going to share my story. We've been talking about how Paul's had the opportunity to share his story in a number of audiences. So I'm going to share my story and kind of give some practical tips of what it looks like for you to share your story with those you love. And so today, we're in Acts chapter 28 for the last few verses, and today's message is entitled, To Be Continued. You remember growing up... um, When I grew up and watching TV and we were watching any kind of television show, um, every once in a while, they would end an episode with these words on a black screen, to be continued. And you couldn't hit next on your uh, remote. Uh, There was no way to binge the episodes. You would have to wait for the next week. And who knows what would happen in six days if you were even able to watch the next episode. But there was also a lot of, there was always a lot of drama and intrigue when those words would come up. And so that's the title of today's message, To Be Continued. Let me remind you where we are. We are shipwrecked. It looks like we're in space, but just forget that for a moment. We are shipwrecked at sea for about two weeks. Uh, Paul, um, two of his friends, uh, Luke and Aristarchus, Uh, Paul is a prisoner, and so him and uh, several other prisoners, the crew, they are trying to make their way up to Rome, and in doing so, they are in a terrible storm. They've been shipwrecked uh, now onto the island of Malta after being in a storm for two weeks. They're on the island of Malta, and how would you describe the, the people that are on the island? What was their response to having all these visitors? They're very kind. In fact, the Bible calls it this way. Luke describes it as this. They showed us unusual kindness. Isn't that a beautiful way to be recognized for your behavior? Unusual kindness. So they showed unusual kindness. They gave them food. They gave them stuff to drink. And then while uh, Paul is building a fire, um, a snake fastens himself, the Bible says, to his arm. Not only bites it, but then holds on onto Paul's arm. So now Paul is there, shipwrecked for two weeks, has a nice meal, building a fire, and now he's bit by a snake. And the snake is dangling from his arm, and he is able to take the snake off, put it into the fire, and now they believe they made the rational conclusion that Paul's a god. 
Because he was once a prisoner, now justice has come onto him. That was there, there was a God that was called justice, and they thought, well, surely Paul has done some evil things. The snake is punishment for that. But because this viper is now defeated by Paul, they thought their God was defeated by Paul, and the only thing that could defeat their God was another God, so Paul must be a God. That's where we're at in the narrative. We pick it up in verse number seven. It says this. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, which received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. No kidding. They thought he was a god at this point, right? So of course they're going to be nice. Of course they're going to entertain him. This was a nice big blessing for them, a strong contrast to the misery they faced the previous two weeks. We go to verse 8. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. Now, historically, it's interesting to note that this is probably known as Malta fever. Uh, Malta fever comes from a microorganism found in the milk of the goats on the Malta island. The symptoms usually lasted about four months. Yeah, Uh, that's what he signed up for with his milkshake that morning. Uh, Four months of fever and dysentery. Paul visited him prayed, and putting his hands on him, what happened? He yielded him. Verse 9, when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Now, we know that God healed this man, yet it happened through the willingness and the behavior of Paul making himself available to be used. It also took Paul recognizing that there was a need in front of him. God did the work, but Paul made himself ready, available, and aware that there was someone who needed something. Now, the word for healed in this context is a different Greek word than customarily used for a miraculous healing. The word literally means to receive medical attention, which is interesting because who's traveling with Paul? Luke. So um, in the one instance with Publius's father, that word is most, uh, most probably used to identify uh, a miraculous healing. But as others were coming to Paul and Aristarchus and Luke wanting the same kind of healing, it appears that some of them were healed miraculously, but some of them just got medical attention that they needed. Isn't that awesome? That here's Luke. He is shipwrecked on an island that he had never intended on going to. And now he has the opportunity to use his experience, his knowledge, his background to just provide medical attention. And now people who are going obviously without this medical attention are now being healed or getting better. It leads us to our first point this morning if you're following along. The followers of Jesus met the immediate needs of people that were right in front of them. The followers of Jesus met the immediate needs of people that were right in front of them. You know what might be our greatest opportunity as a church family? Is simply to meet the needs that are right in front of us. James puts it way more bluntly in the New Testament. James says something like this. I'm just going to quote from memory. He says, if you see someone who's cold, and instead of giving them a quote, you said, hey, God bless, get warm, have a great day. 
If you, if you have that kind of attitude, um, your, your, your faith is dead. Your faith is dead. There's no, there's no action behind your faith. There's no, there's no love behind them. And so here is Paul, Aristarchus, Luke, maybe some other believers, we're not sure. But here they are. They're on the island. They've just gone through this horrendous ordeal, now being saved, now having meals in, in them. And now they see needs that are right in front of them. And now they see themselves having the opportunity to put their experience to good use, Luke, um, uh, Paul ends up praying for people. Um, there are people in our community, there are people in your world uh, where if you see the needs right in front of them, what would it look like for you just simply to meet those needs? I'm not asking you to pay for every bill that comes uh, to someone's home and then you are aware of it. I'm not asking you to, um, uh, to do anything uh, extraordinary, but if someone comes to you and there's a need, what would it look like in that moment if you said, Lord, how can I help meet this need? In fact, maybe, maybe that's all I'm challenging you to do is just to pray that prayer. Lord, what would it look like for me to help meet this need? And then listen and respond. Um, when, my, um, when my brother died in December, one of the things I began to do is I began to, to talk to someone about it. So I have a spiritual counselor, a spiritual therapist that I talk to about every couple of weeks. And one of the exercises he has me start doing is um, when there is a situation that requires a decision, when there's a situation that requires a discernment, he said, Daniel, I, just, I want you to just talk to the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, expect to hear from him. Now, I'll be honest, I do the first one a whole lot. I talk to the Holy Spirit quite often. I think I do anyway. But then he said, and then expect to hear from him. And I'm telling you, just in the last few weeks, what I have noticed is God is talking, but I'm not always listening. So what would it look like if you saw someone that was hungry and you simply said, Lord, what, how, would, how would you like me to help meet this need? If you saw someone that was crying alone and you happen to walk by and you say, Lord, how would you like me to help with this need? What an amazing testimony it would be for God's people in Douglas County if we were simply known as people that met people's needs. Do you know what happens when you meet people's needs? It allows you to meet other needs. I don't know how to, else to say that, but it gives you space in their life to speak life into them. Here's Paul, Luke, and Aristarchus, and they just have the opportunity to simply meet the needs of people that were right in front of them. The scene changes. They're going to leave Malta now. We read on in verse 11. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Verse 12, putting in at where? Syracuse. We stayed there for three days. This was the first stop from Malta. Syracuse was a famous city in the ancient world. In fact, um, I have it on very good authority uh, that if you were to watch the latest Indiana Jones movie... 
Syracuse is highlighted and mentioned several times, as with many other cities that we've talked about in the book of Acts. The good authority is me. I saw it, and I heard Syracuse several times, and I thought, that's, that's in the book of Acts. And then they would mention the Aegean Sea, and then they would mention Alexand- all of these places. It's pretty interesting. Um, but Syracuse was a famous city in the ancient world, and that's where uh, they put in, they stayed there for three days, verse 13. From there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Petuli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. I feel like Luke could have been a little bit more dramatic about this last sentence. And so we came to Rome. Uh, This is what uh, Paul has been waiting for for a long time. Verse 15 And for the brothers there, the Romans, when they heard about us, they came as far as the form of Appius and three taverns to meet us. And on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. So Paul and the others made their way northward up the Italian peninsula. They spent time with fellow followers of Jesus they met along the way. And eventually they were greeted outside of Rome by Christians from the city who came to meet them. Now this was part of a tradition you would do. Uh, They honored Paul by this greeting. Uh, as emperors were greeted when they were arrived at Rome, what, they would hap- what would happen is you would go out to meet them, and as they came into the city, you would walk along with them to their destination. So there, these friends came about 43 miles to walk with Paul to his, uh, to his destination. Now, these are Romans. This is the same group of people that Paul wrote a letter to that's in your Bibles, uh, 16 chapters worth. Uh, They read that letter a few years before seeing Paul, having never met Paul. So Paul had written that letter, had sent it off, and now we see everything that's happened in the last few years of Paul's life. Now they got to put a face to the name and to the letter, and so no doubt they were very excited about doing so. We know at this point the gospel has reached Rome, which is fantastic. We come to verse 16. When we had came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier who guarded him. So Paul had determined that he would go to Rome as early as his third missionary journey. At Jerusalem, Jesus promised Paul he would make it to Rome and repeated the promise during the two weeks weeks of storm at sea. And now at the very end of the book of Acts, the apostle finally comes to Rome. Now it says that he was still, um, he was allowed to stay by himself and and with the soldier who guarded him. So he wasn't a normal prisoner. This is The closest that we can kind of comprehend is house arrest. Um, He was allowed to dwell by himself. Um, He still worked. All all indications are as he provided for his own self. Um, And so he was a tent maker by occupation. So he probably continued that. There just happened to be a Roman guard who is his roommate now. And so the roommate would be changed to him. And they would have a rotation of guards that gave him constant supply of people to guard Paul. But for Paul, he took that as a unique opportunity in that if you are chained your leg to my leg, guess what you're going to have to do to me? You're going to have to hear the gospel. And Paul would continually share his story to no matter who was assigned to him as a guard. In fact, to this soldier... Uh, he would be the voice of the gospel. In Philippians, he actually says how his message had reached the palace guards of Rome. 
The gospel had reached the palace guards of Rome because for these many years, whoever was chained to him as a prisoner, he would tell about the gospel. That's the inference we can make. It leads us to our second point this morning. Regardless of your circumstance, you can always share your story with someone. Regardless of the circumstance. You say, Daniel, you don't understand. I've been divorced. You know that God can use our mess for his message? You said, Daniel, you don't understand. I, I, I've made some very poor decisions in my life. Um, Daniel, you don't understand. I, I don't know how to carry a conversation. I'm socially awkward. Uh, Daniel, you don't understand. Um, I'm a new Christian. I don't have much to tell. Or maybe you say, I'm an old Christian. I have too much to tell. <laughs> right? It doesn't really matter your circumstances. You're called to share your story. Because here's the thing, the beautiful thing is this, your story is simply a reflection of God's character, his love, and his mercy. So every time you share your story, guess what you're doing? You're sharing his story. So regardless of your circumstances, if your life feels like a mess right now, um, if your life feels like it's completely put together, whatever situation you might feel you're, you find yourself in, it is an opportunity to simply reflect on the goodness of God and say, this is my story. This is how I fell in love with God. This is how I've been made, away, have made aware of his mercy. This is how I experienced God's forgiveness, and this is how it's transformed my life. Everywhere Paul went, as a free man, when he was traveling all throughout uh, Jerusalem, he would share his story. Uh, whenever he got kicked out of a town and he went to a new, new town, and there was a group of people that wouldn't listen to the story of the gospel, you know what he did? Remember that one time, I forget what city, uh, the Jewish people kicked him out of the synagogue and says, you're not welcome here. Paul just goes right across the street at, uh, at someone's home and starts sharing the gospel there. Regardless of your circumstance, you'll have an opportunity to share your story. Verse 17, after three days, Paul called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, before we go on, doesn't this sound like a whole lot whenever he would start a church? He would call the local leaders of the Jews. He would go to the Jewish people first, and he would share his story. Uh, we continue to read verse 17. Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it's because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain." Paul followed his consistent practice of going to the Jews first in every city he came to, and he begins to share his story. It took him only three days to organize this meeting, and Paul explained to the leaders of the temple, I am indeed a Jew, and he goes on to explain, I have not forsaken Israel. They are still my brothers and sisters. Um, I am innocent of any crime. The Romans were ready, ready and willing to release me. But the Jews would not allow that to happen quietly, so he, made a, he did not make a countersuit or accusation against the leadership, but now he's a prisoner because of his belief in Israel's Messiah. They respond in verse 21, they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you. 
none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So why is this an important statement from them? What they're saying is this. We have not heard any accusation. We have not seen any testimony. We haven't seen any evidence that points to your guilty verdict. In fact, the Jews that have accused you, Paul, have made no contact with us. So therefore, we want to hear from you. We want to hear from you what your views are, because all we know about Christianity is you guys are all trouble. (laughs) Right? What does it say here? With regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. That's all we know. We have no evidence supporting this, but this is what we know. They didn't know anything about Paul. They had heard about Christianity, that it was unpopular, being spoken against. But they complimented Uh, They should be complimented, I should say, on wanting to hear the story from Paul himself. So verse 23, we continue. When they had appointed a day for him, so basically they said, we're going to arrange for a day. They came to him at his lodging in greater numbers, and from how long? Morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God. Morning till evening. I will just say, you're welcome right there. Uh, Paul took all day to explain the kingdom of God. And he says, uh, as we continue, and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And then what's the verdict? What happened? Verse 24, let's read this together. Verse 24, ready, begin. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Now, what must have been a wonderful time of teaching, Paul has a captive audience. They had to come to him. So I don't think that this means he preached one message from morning to evening. Um, I think what it means is this. They came in greater and greater numbers, Luke describes. So they would come and they would pack as many people as they could with an earshot of Paul and he would explain what happened. He would explain the gospel from the law and the prophets. They would vacate and then others would come because he can't go to them. So they would come to him and maybe he would take a breath or he'd have something to eat and then he would do it again. And as people heard that they had an opportunity to hear from Paul, the mystery of the gospel from the law and from the prophets, how does this all make sense for us? People kept on coming and coming. So consequently, from morning till evening, he shared the gospel to the groups that were coming to him. And speaking of the kingdom, Paul undoubtedly taught what Jesus taught. And that was this, Jesus brought a spiritual kingdom that would take root in men's hearts before it ever took over the governments of this world. Remember the primary concern of the disciples uh, through the latter half of the gospels and even in Acts chapter one, when is the kingdom coming? When do we get to rule and reign? And they were so consumed with the idea that one day, Christ would come, Rome would be evacuated from their country, and we would be able to set up a kingdom. And yet Christ was primarily concerned with the spiritual kingdom. But most of the Jewish people of of Jesus' day and of Paul's day look for a political kingdom, not a spiritual kingdom. And once they recognized that it was not a political kingdom, it was not an earthly kingdom, but it was a kingdom that would reside in our hearts because it's not of this world, that began to change how they behaved with one another. 
in response to this remarkable day of teaching, we read it together, some were convinced, some trusted Jesus, and then some others just simply did not. I think it's one of the most beautifully sad statements in Acts 28. Verse 24, some were convinced by what he said, and others not. Others disbelieved. I think it's beautiful because it's, it's, it, it points to the beautiful reality of the gospel, and that's this. You must choose to accept it. You have a choice in the matter. You have a choice in the matter of whether or not you believe and embrace the gospel or whether you disbelieve. And we've looked at it before between Festus and Felix and Agrippa and all of these people that he has been uh, brought before to delay the decision is to reject, to put it on the back burner and say, I'm going to come to this later in my life is to reject, uh, to say that uh, I'm going to wait till my kids are grown up and then I'm going to put attention on church and I'm going to put attention on God. That's to reject. None of us are promised tomorrow, and so we all have this opportunity to make a decision. And here in verse 24, we see, after a day of teaching from Paul himself, some believed and some others did not. We read on in verse 25. Surprise, surprise, they disagreed with one another. Verse 25, and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. What statement from Paul would cause them to just leave? This is what he said. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. Verse 26, he now quotes Isaiah chapter 6. Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Boy, it's a message as true as today as when Isaiah first delivered it or when Paul quoted, many will hear and reject simply because they don't want to turn to God. Verse 28, therefore... Let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And when he said these words, the Jews departed, having much dispute amongst themselves. What he basically said is this. For generations we have been told that if you don't have the eyes to see, if you don't have the ears to hear, if you do reject this, there's nothing that God can do about it. In fact, in these days, the gospel will now be presented to the Gentiles, the outsiders, as well as the Jewish people. And so now we see this, this, uh, this uh, tension grow up inside them. And now they, the, uh, the verse 29 says they have much dispute amongst themselves. If some of them rejected the salvation of God, it doesn't mean the salvation of God is less powerful. It simply means that the salvation of God, God would find those who would hear it. And in this case, it would be the Gentiles. It would be the outsiders. And so Paul pled for men to, women to receive Jesus, but not necessarily like a beggar might plead. Paul ached not for himself, but for those who rejected. And for those who would respond to the gospel, there's a message of life. And for those who reject the gospel, there is the consequence of your condemnation. 
And just a few years after Paul's rebuke of those Jews who rejected Jesus, the Jewish people of Judea were slaughtered wholesale and Jerusalem was destroyed. God's judgment was coming and part of Paul's frustration is perhaps he sensed it. We come to the final two verses of Acts 28 and this is what it reads. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. At his own expense, what does that mean? Well, that, that's what I mentioned earlier. Uh, he provided for himself. He was a tent maker working with leather as a trade, and no doubt he continued to do that as he stayed in his own home. He welcomed all who came to him, doing what? Verse 31, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul's life is interesting. He would spend another two years waiting for his case to be heard by Caesar. The two years prolonged stay in Rome uh, could be uh, um, explained by a backlog of trials and cases, and it took that much time for his case to come up in hearing. And though he couldn't travel, he would be able to teach and preach to all who came to him. He wrote letters. Uh, We have these two years of Roman custody to thank for the letters to the Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Those three letters were written while he was in prison. If you think about Ephesians, Ephesians behind Romans is probably the most doctrinally um, rich New Testament book we have, uh, talking about um, the grace of God and our identity in Him. You think about Philippians, and Philippians is four chapters long, and it's this beautiful uh, essay on joy in all circumstances. Then you have Colossians, and Colossians talks about being rooted in Christ. Three amazing books of the Bible, um, all written while he was in prison. Comes to our last point this morning as we think about Paul in these last few years. And I'll say by way of closing, there's no wasted chapters in our life. And God is able to redeem every one of them. There's no wasted chapters in our life. We might waste it by not sensing God's purpose for our life in the moment, but the chapters themselves are not wasted. You know, God's able to redeem every chapter in your life. One of the reasons I want to uh, encourage you to lean into your story is because there are all chapters of our own life we would like other people to just skip, Right? We would love for them not to look at those years of our life. We would love for them to skip towards the good part in your mind. We'd like for people to just skip ahead to the point where where you're in church or where you're in good relationship with Jesus or where you've been redeemed. And yet, um, I've said this often before, you know, um, in our relationships with one another, it's, it's our talents and our expertise that really um, impress other people, right? It's our talents and expertise. And when they find out you can do something or you can provide something or you're gifted or you're talented in a way, you impress people. But the way you connect with people is with brokenness. It's your vulnerability. And that is the part of your story that God wants to redeem and take back and, and shine through the light of Jesus Christ with. Here's Paul, and you could... 
we could have ended the story of Paul chapters ago by saying, and Paul was arrested. You can go through the end of his life, and most of his, the next portion of his life is just, uh, is just trial after imprisonment after trial after imprisonment uh, through the end of his life. We'll talk about the end of his life in just a moment. But you can look at his life and say, my goodness, what a waste. Or you can look at his life and say, my goodness, what a savior to be able to redeem this part of his life. I don't know if Paul understood the scope of, um, of, of, of the beauty of God that would happen through his imprisonment. But we're encouraged daily through scriptures that he wrote during his imprisonment. So he eventually has his appeal before Caesar. The Caesar historically at this time for him would be Caesar Nero. It seems likely that Paul was acquitted of these charges. And by most estimates, most historians, he was free for another four or five years. Then he was imprisoned again, condemned, and he was executed in Rome at the command of Nero in AD 66 or 67 as most historians would believe. When you look at Paul's life, I think they can be encapsulated by the last verse of the book of Acts. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and what's the last two words? without hindrance. How poetic that the last two words of the book of Acts is these two words, without hindrance. Paul came to Rome, as, as Paul came to Rome, I should say, the sea, the soldiers, the viper all threatened his life, but God delivered them from them all. And through Paul, God shows that God's will cannot be stopped, though all kinds of difficulty may continue. In fact, when it comes to the gospel, it's to be continued. Without hindrance is the last two words. In other words, there's no end to the story because the history of the church continues this story on and through the centuries. Trusting in Jesus, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, the guidance of the Father and the Word of God will continue to spread this good news without hindrance. I want us to take, I want to take us back to where we started in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. It says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, the book of Acts is really this never-ending story that now we get to be part of as we trust God. And what's God's call to us in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 as the Holy Spirit gives us power? It is simply to be witnesses. Now, here's the beautiful thing. Um, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It doesn't say what education level you have to have for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Isn't that beautiful? Um, let's look at what else it doesn't say. Uh, it doesn't say whether you have to be male or female. 
for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Aren't you glad for that? It doesn't say um, that you have to be uh, eloquent. It doesn't say that you have to have experience. It doesn't have to. All it simply says is this. You will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you will be my witness. Now, you think about a witness, and you think about what a witness does. A witness simply tells the truth. It says, the witness will say what they saw and what they heard, what they experienced. I'm just so looking forward to our church sharing each other's stories to see what you have seen, what you have heard, and what you have experienced. And as we do, we will be a fulfillment of the book of Acts. And when we get to live out Acts chapter 29 here in Roseburg for this generation, the book of Acts is to be continued in our lives. You say, how does it stay continued? Well, look at those three points again right in front of you. Followers of Jesus, what did they do? They simply met the immediate needs of people that were right in front of them. I think what it means for us, for the gospel story to be continued in Douglas County, is for us as a church, you as an individual, to simply meet the needs of people that are right in front of you. And as God puts people in front of our path that have needs, our prayer will be this, Lord, um, how would you like me to help meet this need? And then we'll listen, expecting the Holy Spirit to respond. Um, how does the gospel continue in this day and age? Well, regardless of our circumstance, we all share our story with someone. That means that uh, we don't have a paid spokesman for our story, uh, who's your pastor. That means that we all dive in and share your story with someone. Um, I'm so excited for this because I think there's probably people in here who have never shared their salvation story with anyone. And the prospect of you doing so is probably frightening, scary, and you're probably going to miss the next two Sundays because you don't want to be accountable for what you hear. (laughs) And let me just encourage you to lean in to the Holy Spirit's power. That verse in Acts doesn't say, um, in your own strength, you will be witnesses. In your own confidence, you will be witnesses. With your own power, you will be witnesses. It says the Holy Spirit's power comes upon you, and then you become witnesses. Boy, sharing your story is just a byproduct of the Holy Spirit power in your life. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that in the next few days. Uh, lastly, thirdly, how does the story of the gospel stay continued in our life and times here in Douglas County? Uh, well, here's the thing. There's no wasted chapters in our life. God is able to redeem every one of them. So as you embrace that in your own life, in your friend's life, in your family's life, we will get to recognize God redeeming our stories for his glory. Um, And then when you look back in your life and you go back to that story that you wish everyone else would skip when they read the story of your life, you get to tell that story through the lens of the kingdom of God, not through the lens of your own failure. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. 
If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.